Amen. Thanks, Mel. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? Good. Man, that was, that was good. I don't even know why I'm up here right now. Um, the sermon has been preached um, about the cross. So it was so good, uh, Mackie, Andrew, just to see you declare your faith, to watch you grow up and, um, and your faith grow up. And um, what's, what's, going, what's going on here? Yeah. yeah okay. Don't bother the group of men around our baptismal right now. Just, uh, I, guess, I guess we're going to do this right now. This is the moment for us to deal with it. Yeah. Um, thanks, guys. Good job. Good job. <laughs> oh, I guess we're pumping all the water out. Okay, that's what's going on right now. Um, anyway, uh, so, man, it was so good to see you guys declare your faith. Uh, thank you for letting us as your church family be a part of that moment. I just want, I just want you to know that, that that's not just a gift to you. I hope it was, but it was a gift to every one of us. So we're, we're grateful uh, for that uh, as well. So we're gonna jump in to the Gospel of Luke. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up to uh, the Gospel of Luke. As you know, we've been in a long sermon series preaching through uh, this gospel. We're gonna be in chapter 17 today, starting chapter 17. And uh, as you know, we're, we're moving at a pretty quick pace through this gospel. Um, our hope is to hit the resurrection on Easter. That's what we're headed for uh, in Luke. And so we gotta, we gotta keep it moving here. So we're gonna do chapter 17, verses one Uh, to 19 this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can go ahead and get that open and ready to go, and we'll read from it in just a few moments. Um, If you've been around Grace Hill for some time, um, you know that we like to talk about what our vision and our mission and our strategy is quite a bit. And this morning, I I wanted to remind you of what specifically our strategy is here at Grace Hill, um, how we're going to go about to do the things that we believe God has called us to do, um, because I think what we're going to read about in our text this morning really helps us to understand what we mean by this. So if you remember, this is our strategy, literally this, right? The acronym this, T-H-I-S. This uh, is our strategy. We say that at Grace Hill, we want to be all about teaching, that we believe that we all need to grow in our knowledge of God's word. All right, H, we say at Grace Hill, we wanna be about healing, that there are specific areas that Jesus wants to transform and heal every one of us. So we wanna grow in our knowledge of ourselves and where Jesus wants to transform and heal us. Uh, I, we talk about incarnational, that at Grace Hill Church, we wanna grow in our knowledge of one another, that we are not called to live this Christian life alone. We cannot live this Christian life alone. And that God's primary sanctification tool in your life is each other. That he's gonna use all of us together to grow us into Christ-likeness. And then lastly, S is sending, that we believe that God has called us to invite our neighbors in to this kind of life of growing in a knowledge of who God is, growing in a knowledge of ourselves and where God wants to change and transform us, and growing in our knowledge of one another. I bring that up today because today in our text, we're going to really learn what does it mean to grow in our knowledge of ourselves, that healing piece, that second piece of our strategy. And, and when we say that, grow in knowledge of ourselves, this isn't self-help. 
This isn't self-care. This isn't about elevating self to the importance of God. No, 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 not at all. This is about wanting to grow in our knowledge of where God specifically is growing us, challenging us, changing us, encouraging us, sanctifying us for our joy and for his glory. That's what this is all about. I I saw Paul Tripp do uh, an illustration one time. He's a speaker, counselor guy. All right, I wanna show you something real quick. Watch this. All right, ready? It's perfect. We got a tarp right here anyway. All right? So I just want, I'm gonna do something real quick. You ready? You ready? Don't miss it. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because I shook it. I shook it, right? Because we are trained in many ways, right, to react to our lives, to react to the things that happen in our lives by looking at the external, by looking at external forces that come upon us, and that helps us to make sense of and understand why certain things are happening in our life. We're trained that way. But let me change the way I ask the question. Why did water come out of the bottle? Because water was in the bottle. That's right, right? It's not just an external reality that makes water come out. That is true, but it's also an internal reality. But we've been trained to pay attention largely to what happens outside of us and what happens to us, but it's not as common to be trained to pay attention to what is going on inside of us that causes things that happen in our life. And we need awareness of both what happens outside of us and inside of us. And so I bring this up because where we are in the Gospel of Luke, um, Jesus, as we've been saying this every week, he is headed towards Jerusalem. He is going to the cross, and he has been doing a lot of teaching, um, teaching in parables, healing miracles, and a little bit of confrontation with the Pharisees. And one of the things that Jesus is trying to teach and show the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders of the day, specifically, is that, hey, everything in your life looks great on the outside, right? He calls them whitewashed tombs, right? You're clean on the outside, but on the inside, dead man's bones, that's Jesus' language, right? Or he says, you're the, you clean the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup is dirty. That's Jesus' language. He's trying to show the Pharisees, listen, your life from a religious perspective looks clean and pristine on the outside, but on the inside, there's a bunch of all kinds of other stuff going on that you are not paying attention to. You don't have awareness of what's going on inside your heart and how that is impacting your relationship, not just with God, but with other people. So this is what we're going to dig into today. We're going to see a few different teachings of Jesus here in Luke chapter 17, and that's going to challenge us and cause us to pay more attention to what is happening on the inside. If we go to our text Luke chapter 17. We're going we're gonna to cover verses 1 to 19 this morning, but I want to start by reading verses 5 and 6. I think you'll relate with this text. Look at what it says. It says this, the apostles said to the Lord, to the disciples, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, 
be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. There's a similar text, right, where Jesus says you could say to that mountain, right, go get, you know, get tossed in the sea, and the mountain would go, right? How many of you have ever looked at a mountain and prayed and been like, all right, God, let's test my faith. Let's see what happens, right? I mean, I, I, we all read a text like this, and we wonder, what does this mean? Like, what does it mean to have this kind of faith that Jesus is talking about here, where something like this would happen. We have to understand what faith really is, right? There's a difference between knowing about something, maybe some sort of like logical belief in something, and having faith in something, like literally putting trust in something. I'll never forget, I was at this summer camp once, working at this summer camp, and at this camp, we had this swing that we called the death swing. All right? So, of course, it gives you confidence uh, from the beginning. But it was one of those swings you get strapped into a harness. They kind of pull you up. You get way up in the trees, right? And then you pull this ripcord and you drop and it catches you and then you swing back and forth, right? Anyone ever been on a swing like that? So, we had this swing and um, so I was watching a bunch of people go on it. And, and here's what I'm doing I'm trying to build up some faith in the swing. Right, Because I don't have faith in the swing until I literally strap into it and pull the ripcord and let it hold me up. So I'm watching people go back and forth on that thing, back and forth on it, and I'm like, all right, you know, I think I'll do it. And then this girl got on it. She got hoisted all the way up into the trees. She pulled a ripcord. She came down. I don't know what happened, but she clipped her foot on the bottom of the ground and broke it. And I was like, I have zero faith in that swing. That's it, no faith. Not putting my trust in it. I'm not gonna put my life upon it. Nope, not anymore. That's all I needed to see. There is no faith. So I could have had logical knowledge of how this thing works, maybe even some belief that it would be fine, but there's no faith until I strap in, I get in that thing and, let, and make my whole life be dependent on it, right? That is what faith is. It's this difference between believing or knowing and trusting. Today, we're going to be challenged by Jesus to pay attention to some stuff going on inside of our heart, not outside, inside. And I think it's going to take a lot of faith and trust in Jesus to have the courage to do what he is telling us to do to have the courage and the faith to trust him with what he says, that what he says is good. Even though maybe sometimes we look upon it and we go, I don't know, I don't know if I wanna trust that. But what Jesus says is good and it's right. Sometimes it goes against what's happening inside of us. And today I think we're gonna be challenged with, do we have the courage to confront the things that Jesus is challenging us to confront? So here's what we're going to do. We're going to read three different texts here from Luke 17. And we're going to look at three different areas that I think in our life that Jesus wants us to pay attention to. And then I think if we pay attention to these three things, it's going to develop inside of us three character traits, right, that God can do some pretty amazing things with. All right, we're going to be challenged to look at three areas, and we're going to have to ask, do we have the faith to trust God in these three areas? Like strap into that swing and trust him with our life. Because if we do in these three areas, I think it's going to build some character in us that I think God will do some pretty big things. 
like uproot a mulberry tree and throw it in the ocean, which is a metaphor, by the way. I don't think it actually happens. I mean, it could if God wanted it to. But it's a metaphor for big things that happen. So three areas. So here's number one. We're going to just dive right in. I think God wants us to grow in our teachability. There's your character trait. And I think we need to pay attention to our dogma. Big word. I'll get to it. To our dogma in order to do that. I think God wants to grow us in our teachability, and we need to pay attention to our, our dogma. Dogma is this, you know, these beliefs that we have in certain things, and we just refuse, 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 refuse to believe that it could be untrue, right? That's what we mean by dogma. Look at Luke 17, verse 1 and 2. And Jesus said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come. But woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. When Jesus talks about temptations, literally the Greek there means a uh, hook with bait on it. Right? You're going to encounter those in your life is what he's saying. You're going to encounter things that looks enticing, but it's a trap, right? And so Jesus says, that's, that's going to happen. But he's saying, don't be the person that is throwing out that bait. Don't be the person that is influencing someone towards sin, towards temptation, towards a wrong belief in God. That's not a good thing. That's what he says. You know, this text comes right on the heels of the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We've been talking about this week after week, how Jesus has been challenging the Pharisees every single week through our text here. And what Jesus is basically saying here is that the, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, they are inadvertently, not on purpose, leading people astray with their life and with their doctrine, right? They, they are leading people astray. They are blind to the things of God, and they don't even know that they're blind to it. And we know that because last week, Jesus challenged them with, hey, you are lovers of money, right? They probably didn't walk around going, yep, I'm a lover of money. But Jesus is saying, that's what's going on inside of you. You are a lover of money, and that is leading other people astray. We know that they had a disdain for the poor. This was something that Jesus was constantly challenging them on, right? They had this disdain for the poor. And so they were leading people astray. The Messiah himself, who was prophesied in the Old Testament, was walking in their midst, and they're rejecting him. They can't even see him, right? Because they are blind to what is true about their faith and they are leading people astray. So Jesus says here in verse three, the first part of it, he says this, pay attention to yourselves. Like look inside of what's going, don't just look on the outside, don't just look at the external, don't just look at how the temple attendance is doing really, look inside of what's going on inside of your hearts. It is possible that you think you're entirely right about something, yet you're blind and you're leading people astray. Like, that's humbling. I mean, if you're a parent, 
That's humbling reality, that that could be true. If it's true of the Pharisees, it absolutely could be true of us. That's humbling. That is frightening to me as a pastor who's called to teach that, that I could be convinced something's right. And so I have to look inside. I have to be okay with the fact that I'm capable of being wrong. Um, Paul encourages Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16. Timothy's like his protege. He says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. And I think the opposite of that could be true as well. If you don't keep a close watch on yourself and your teaching, then you're going to lead people astray. And so listen, we live in a culture where we're dogmatic about everything, right? Every opinion we hold, we hold it to the nth degree with like no room for debate. And if you disagree, then we just like destroy you, right? That's, that's kind of the cultural waters that we're swimming in. And so the reality is, is that yes, some dogma is good, Yes, yes, like we believe that the word of God is inerrant. We're dogmatic about that. We believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We're dogmatic about that. There are things that we are dogmatic about, but there are things we could be dogmatic about and be wrong. That's actually possible. And I think we live in a culture that goes, oh, there's no way that's possible. But the question that I have for us is, are we teachable people? Teachable people. Is our faith in Jesus strong enough, our faith that he has us, that he has saved us, that he's never going to let us go, that is our faith strong enough that we have this confidence in him that we're okay with being wrong sometimes? Right? I trust what Jesus says about me, so I actually can be wrong. I can admit when I'm wrong in front of other people. Listen, as followers of Jesus, our teachability will influence people towards Jesus far more than our stubbornness will. I think this is a lesson for the church at large in our culture today. We're not very teachable people. We're very dogmatic people, and there are things to be dogmatic about. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. But we need to ask ourselves, are we teachable people because the Pharisees who memorized the scriptures were grown up memorizing the scriptures, went to temple every day, did everything right, they got it wrong. We're not better than them. So we gotta pay attention to this. Grow in our teachability. Number two, second character trait that I think God wants to grow us in is our graciousness. Graciousness. And I think in order to do that, we need to pay attention to our judgment to the judgment in our hearts. Look at verses three and four. Jesus says, pay attention to yourselves. If your brother sins, rebuke him, right? Pharisees were, were good on that one. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. Just, just take at face value what Jesus just said. Imagine you have someone who sins against you. 
seven times, and all seven times repents. I mean, which one of us goes, man, okay, it's okay, after the third one, that's it, man, three strikes, you're out. I want you to see in the text the radical nature that Jesus calls to when it, us to when it comes to forgiveness. I also want you to see how forgiveness very much is dependent on repentance, right? That, that forgiveness is a two-way street. There, there's, there's a transaction there, right? It's a relationship, Someone comes and says, man, I did something wrong. Will you forgive me? And, and forgiveness is extended, but it's extended over and over and over again. Actually, there's, there's no exhausting it, right? The, the text doesn't say, okay, but the eighth time, that's it, right? No, seven, we know this in scripture is the number of completion. It's a symbolic number of all kinds of different things. This is basically Jesus saying, it's just unlimited. If he repents, you forgive. If he repents, you forgive over and over And how easy is it for us to harden our heart towards someone and absolve ourselves of the need to forgive because we eventually go, listen, that's enough. I can't trust you. You've run out of my forgiveness. Again, we live in a culture where we're swimming in cultural waters where there's none of this, right? It is like you get something wrong. If you're dogmatic about the wrong thing, then you're out, that's it, like canceled, like let's walk away from each other. I'm not gonna talk to you again. Let's leave the church. Let's do this, let's do that. End of relationship. That's what we see happen around us. And so listen, it takes huge faith and courage to forgive like Jesus calls us to. In fact, in verse five, that's then when the apostles chime in and say, increase our faith, God, Because that's huge. I mean, I don't know how to do that over and over again. I need more faith in Jesus in order to do that. Faith in what? Faith in the justice of God. That that God himself is, is going to take care of all sin. He's going to bring closure to all sin. And he'll do that either through his judgment or he'll do that through the cross of Jesus Christ, depending if that person is a follower of Jesus or not. But we are called to forgive. It takes faith in God's graciousness towards us that this is exactly how God interacts with you. He forgives and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives and he forgives. There's never a time where you go to pray to him and you go, God, I know this is the fourth time this week I've prayed this prayer. There's never a time God says, yep, that's number four, and I'm not listening to you because I don't trust you. I don't trust your motives. It says, if he repents, then he forgives. This is God's graciousness to us. And it takes faith to believe that God actually is gracious to us in that particular way. To get into the swing and to trust him that he actually does forgive me seven times, unlimited amount of times, and it's building in that faith that will grow graciousness in our hearts towards 
others. God will use a gracious people far more than he will ever use a judgmental people. So once that sink in, God will use a, a gracious people, this, this town that we're called to reach, that we're called to send our, each other into to reach. They're going to be reached by a gracious people, not a judgmental people. And so God wants us to pay attention to the judgment of our hearts and grow in our graciousness. And here's number three. The character trait is gratitude. God wants us to grow in our gratitude, and in order to do that, we need to pay attention to our attitude towards God. Look at verses seven to 19 in our text. Will any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come at once, and recline at table. Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink and afterward you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. This tough text, this, this text doesn't really align with our cultural conscience that much. Because Jesus is talking into a society where they had servants. But essentially, Jesus is saying, let's say you were a servant. Like, put yourself into that category. And you did everything that you were commanded to do. Do you walk into your master's house and go, okay, give me what I deserve. Fix supper for me. You know what I mean? Let, let me sit at the table with you. No, the, the master's going to be like, no, go make me supper. Right? Because you're an unworthy servant. Ugh. Like, that's a, that's a characterization that Jesus puts upon us that's a little tough to swallow. But, but God is saying, no, that's what you are. As, yes, as my child, yes, as a follower of Jesus, you, you are someone who's under my command. Keep going in the text. Verse 11, get an example. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance. And they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Jesus heals all 10 of them. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell at his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. That foreigner experienced two salvations that day, physical and spiritual. This was an indictment on the Jews of the day. 
an indictment on the Pharisees because their relationship with God was transactional. God, I do the things you tell me to do. You hook me up with the things that I deserve. God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do all the things you've commanded me to. I'm going to go to temple. I'm going to do the feasts. I'm going to do the sacrifices. I'm going to do it all. I'm going to re- memorize stuff, keep the Sabbath, all of it. Perfect. Now it's your turn. What are you going to do for me? They didn't see themselves as unworthy servants, just, just happy to even be within God's purview. Right? They saw themselves as entitled to God's blessing, which is exactly why nine of them walked away. Thank you, God, you gave me what I deserved. I'm sure they were grateful, but their gratitude did not turn into worship, except for the one who saw himself as an unworthy servant. And so when God's grace was lavished upon him in the healing of his body, his heart had nothing to do but go and fall on his face and worship because his attitude towards God was, you're God, I'm not, and I am just under your grace. All of you, what you've given me is grace. And it was an indictment on the Pharisees who had a different attitude towards God. It takes faith to see yourself as not deserving of any of the good things that God blesses us with, but to actually see those things as grace. As grace, that's God's goodness to me. My health is God's goodness to me. The good things that I experience, my comfort, that's God's goodness to me right now. And just because other people experience different things doesn't mean God isn't good towards them. So everything that I have, it is God's grace. It's not what I'm due. See, God can use a thankful people far more than he'll ever use an entitled people. You know, so let's think about this for a second. We, we talked about teachability and we talked about graciousness and we talked about gratitude. Three character traits that, man, if God builds that in us, he can do pretty huge, amazing things through us. But we have to pay attention to ourselves, as he says in verse three. We have to look on the inside. We have to be willing to find out our weaknesses. Where are we afraid that we're weak? One of my favorite texts in scripture is 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Um, 2 Corinthians is uh, Paul's probably most vulnerable letter. He's responding to all kinds of accusations against his motives and his apostleship, and so he's responding. And in, in chapter 12, Paul talks about confronting his own weaknesses. I just love what he says in verses 7 to 10. Look at Paul. says, He says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, right? Paul has written most of the New Testament. It's a lot of great revelations there. Um, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my 
weaknesses, not my strengths, my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, listen, I am content with weakness. I'm content with insults. I'm content with hardships. I'm content with persecutions. I'm content with calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul did not see his weaknesses as a threat. Paul had the self-awareness to go, you know what's a problem for me? Conceit. Yeah, that's a problem for me. I know a lot of things. I grew up a Pharisee. I've memorized all those scriptures. I encountered Jesus in the flesh. That guy knocked me off of a donkey or a horse or whatever it was. Right? I mean, so he knew that what he was experiencing, the things that God had called him to were great. And he's going, I know a problem for me is that I can start to see myself as better than others. I'm aware of that. And I know that God is doing something about that. And I welcome it. I'm not threatened by my weakness. I know that that's the exact place where God's going to do his greatest work. But it takes faith. Faith that God will use our weaknesses to make him strong. The question is, are we willing to do the work to look on the inside and say, God, here's where I'm weak because I want to see you move in the midst of my weaknesses because that's how God gets things done. So with that said, like imagine if a community of people where we're growing in our teachability, we're growing in our graciousness, we're growing in our gratitude because we're willing to come to God with our weaknesses and he's able to show up in the midst of them. That's the faith that moves mountains. It's not us. Like, man, we've unlocked the secret to rip up the mulberry tree. No, as we have fully cast ourselves upon Christ, we have fully cast ourselves upon him and said, use me in whatever way, humble me in whatever way, work through me, I'm yours, I'm an unworthy servant, do whatever you want in my life. That's the kind of faith that moves mountains takes faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that when he says you're a new creation, we, ca- we put our life upon that. When he says your sins are forgiven, we throw our life upon that. When he says, listen, I've got big things for you, go and make disciples of all nations, we throw our life upon that because we trust in what Jesus has said about us. I think it was Paul's willingness to let God work through his weaknesses why God used him in such amazing ways. Last thing I'll say is this, and we'll pray. You know, our our mission here at Grace Hill Church is is we want to be a diverse community that follows Jesus, loves people, and is a safe place to be known. A safe place for our neighbors and for one another, for us to be known, good, bad things, so that we can all grow in our transformation and healing in Christ and listen when we think about our neighbors, Grace Hill, if we become a place that is teachable, that is gracious and grateful for the things that God has done for us, that is a place that's safe to be known. Not a place that is stubborn or a place that is ungrateful or judgmental. And I praise God that I don't think that's what our community is like. But I wanna push us from the scriptures, all of us to say, hey, it is safe 
to look on the inside. What is going on on the inside? Where does God want to grow me? What weaknesses does he want to show his strength in? It's safe to do that because Jesus has claimed you and he'll never let you go. Let's pray. God, we want down to our very bones to reach our neighbors for Christ. We want down to our very bones to see more and more baptisms of people claiming their faith in Christ. We want down to our very bones for our brothers and sisters in this room to continue to grow in their healing and their transformation and their love of you. So God, we want to be used in in mighty ways to do it. So build in us a faith, God, that you can use to do these things. We pray, God, that you would grow us in these areas of our teachability, of our graciousness, our gratitude. God, help us to understand that you are a good and gracious God in everything that we have. It's because of your grace upon our life. We thank you for Jesus who went to the cross to rescue us from our sin so that, Lord, we could grow in these things without fear, knowing that you'll show up in our weakness. We love you, Jesus. We ask these things in his name. Amen.